This is a Clock Shelves Podcast Network production. Welcome to another episode of MCU and Me. Uh, as always, I am Paul Casey, and I am joined by a whole host of people today joining us from all of the Phase 1 films in order. From Iron Man, we have Jake Wolken. Hello, hello. From The Incredible Hulk, we have Kevin Zane. I was going to say hello, hello. Oh, oops. <laughs> From Iron Man 2, we have Steve Peterson. Hey. From Thor, we have Ruth Casey. Hi. From Captain America, we have Tim Murray. What's up? And even from an upcoming film, we have Liam Prano. Hello. Thank you guys all for um, assembling here today. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <Boo>. <laughs> uh, we are going to be discussing the Avengers, and I feel like this could uh, kind of be more of a, a loose discussion. I don't know if we want to sort of go over the the plot of the film. I feel like we all, of course probably watched it um not long before we uh, are recording this or you know most people listening to this would watch it the extreme quick recap is loki comes to earth for the tesseract thing which was featured in captain america and takes over selvig and clint barton aka hawkeye's brains and some other people has them build a uh a giant device to open a portal. Fury has to assemble the Avengers. They fight. Then eventually Coulson dies. That brings them together. They have a battle in New York and good triumphs over evil. Did I miss anything? Shwarma. No, that's it. Can we all go home now? <laughs> uh, shwarma. There was shwarma. I, I forgot about that plot point. Ah. <laughs> um, but no, uh, I mean, I've actually watched this for me, as most of you know, I, I kind of have said this in, in all of the, the things so far, but um, I got into watching these a little late. This was, well, I watched it twice in the buildup for this particular podcast episode, but technically speaking, this was like my second, third time watching it um, all the way through. Most of you, I believe, watched these all in theaters. The only person I haven't had the chance to ask this question of yet is Liam. So I'll kick it to Liam first. What are your thoughts? I know you didn't get to talk about the Phase 1 films in particular, but sort of coming into this kind of superhero team-up movie from all of the the Phase 1 films, what was your thought? And did you see this film in theaters originally? Uh, yes, I did see this film in theaters. I think, if I'm not mistaken, I did start with Iron Man, watching that in theaters, because I definitely remember uh, a lot of the buildup to the movie, you know, like 
checking on news sites about stuff. You know, I, I remember back when Tom Cruise was supposed to play Iron Man. And, and yeah, you know, uh, for, for the most part, I, I liked phase two. Uh, I mean, I mean, I liked phase one. I'm, I'm not sure how well uh, some of these movies have aged especially comparing them with other movies even within the mcu so well now do you mean that from a a technology standpoint like a cgi standpoint or like what exactly do you mean aged well i just think uh you know quality of the movie i I would say quality of the movies too i i mean the you know the technology is fine the cgi has always has always been good i mean you know these are hundred billion dollar budget movie so of course the cgi is going to be good but i just think when you compare them to other movies within the mcu i in my opinion it doesn't look as good and that's kind of they were just finding their footing with these movies right i mean they were this this was their their playground to get to really launch into it just to lay the groundwork yeah yeah, I think specifically, uh, like on the helicarrier and whatnot, um, when they're on there, you can kind of tell it's a set at certain points. And uh, like, I, I envision one scene of Thor where he's just kind of standing there, and it just sticks out so bad with, with the with the costume and everything, and everything behind him. I, I kind of see what Liam is saying, but it doesn't bother me in the grand well, scheme of things. And is it just me, or is uh, does Avengers seem oversaturated? Like, the colors seem a little too bright. Yeah, it's very like, kind of cartoony. I think that's just Joss Whedon's style that he went for with that. But everything's very... Like, one complaint I was going to bring up um, whenever we got to it was Captain America's suit in this movie, I think, is atrocious. Like, I loved it in, in First Avenger. It was kind of tactical and looked like it made sense. And then this one is just, like, a bright blue jumper, which, I mean, yeah, it's more true to the comic. But in the kind of reality that they have it <clears> set in, it looks kind of ridiculous. Well, so but then Colson, Colson, excuse me, Colson addresses that, and he says, you know, they he said uh, Captain America says about the fact that his suit is old fashioned, and he said, at this point with things going on, we kind of need old fashioned. Well, I have no problem with the, the stars and stripes, which they were talking about. It's just that in this, they made it so bright blue and comic booky versus the in in First Avenger, it was a military suit, and it was kind of you know, desaturated and and not as bright and kind of cheesy looking. Yeah, I think this one whole the whole thing is I think Joss Whedon made it look very comic booky, yes, all the for colors sure. and everything else like that. Because he wa- I guess he wanted to, you know, pay attention to the fact that that this isn't a creation of theirs. This was something that was created for graphic novels. You know, mm-hmm. which I mean, as many of us here know. Um, the sort of plot of this minus, you know, Captain America and, you know, some, some uh, specific details, but basically the whole plot of Loki and, and, you know, all of them teaming up and whatever, if I'm not mistaken, that sort of comes from the first issue or maybe even the first arc of some of the early Avengers team up comics. Is that right? Now I know Steve and, and Kevin in particular are huge comic book fans so i'm going to kick it over to either one of you guys if i'm not uh correct on that um honestly i've never read a single avengers comic um aside from the marvel civil war series um 
it's something I need to correct. I've been more into X-Men and like Batman Justice League type of stuff. Um, I mean, I love the MCU and I would, I need to read some stories. It's just, it's one of those things where it's like, where do you start? And it's just, it's so overwhelming that I kind of just stuck to the movies. So I have no idea if this comes from a comic book or not. I don't think the story necessarily comes from any comic book. However, if you go back and look at uh, Avengers number one comic book from the 60s, uh, it, it, Loki is the, the villain that they're facing off with in that. So in that respect, yes. Yeah. And I mean, like you guys said, uh, Joss Whedon, who Kevin, I'm going to take your 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 kind of moment here that you do on all the podcasts. This was written and directed by Joss Whedon with a story by Joss Whedon and uh, Zach Penn. Um but uh, Joss Whedon has, of course, written for Marvel Comics. He's written um, some astounding. He, re- he I think he created the Astounding X Men series, one of the various X Men titles, and um, he's written, you know, some other stuff. So it does make sense with what you guys were saying about, you know, wanting to do some of these more um, comic book look type of of things here. So I mean, I, and I'm. Being a huge Joss Whedon fan, as I've said before, that's what really got me into these uh, MCU uh, films and TV series and everything was the fact that he kind of jumped on board. And as I'm watching it, of course, I'm noticing a bunch of like casting choices that are very recurrent of him. Um, even one at towards the end, one of the police officers, when Captain America is saying, you know, I need you to hold off the, the people from, you know, this street back and whatever, not the one who says, why should I listen to you? But literally the guy who's standing right there next to him is from Joss Whedon's series dollhouse. He actually later appears in the um, agent Carter uh, TV series at Sousa. Um, the guy who plays the other uh, Thanos's uh, minion guy in the in the outer space portions is um, Alexis Denisoff, who's been a frequent person with Joss Whedon stuff. He's actually the husband of Allison Hannigan, um, and so you know, I've, various other sort of casting choices are not just him, but just recurring throughout the MCU. We have Gwyneth. Gwyneth Paltrow, I'm sorry, returning from the Iron Man films and stuff. But one of the things I know um, in particular was that uh, they didn't, Joss Whedon in particular, didn't want a lot of the sort of secondary characters other than your main heroes and like um, Nick Fury and things like that to sort of appear in in this movie in particular because he was like, well, you kind of have to strip all of them away from their support systems so that they sort of uh, lean on each other in that way. And I mean, there isn't many people to, uh, to kind of bring from Captain America, but Tim, I know you were on the Captain America discussion, but you mentioned that Iron Man is one of your favorites in, you know, kind of out of all the, the superheroes. So the fact that we have sort of, Gwyneth Paltrow here but not some of the other characters and I don't just mean from Iron Man but just some like all of the other sort of secondary characters what did you think about that choice to sort of not bring them in to this movie it was good it focused mainly on like the main characters of the movie which is what you wanted to do um the movie essentially introduced Hawkeye into the MCU he was in Thor but he was in Thor for all of five minutes um so that's just the, the from what I read before I got on the podcast was Joss Whedon didn't want like any other distractions from the core. And that's why the original plan to have Ant-Man and the Wasp 
was supposed to appear in this movie got scrapped because of that. So I think it was just a good idea to focus because they got to build as a team. This is the first time of them being a team together. And it's hard to do that when they're all relying on other people. Like if Iron Man needed help, he probably would have went back to Rhodey and asked Rhodes what to do and like had him try to help him. But now he's relying on these people that he just met essentially. So I think it was a good way to have them all come together. Colson says that at one point is that they needed something to rally around. So by having them literally by themselves, like no happy, no um, Jane Foster, you know, none of those other characters, they really had to have each other and have their own backs. But I know like, uh, like Tim mentioned the, the concept of Ant-Man and the Wasp. And obviously as we keep going with this podcast, we'll sort of talk about that a little more, but he also mentioned um, Hawkeye. And one of the things I, I didn't see it this particular time, but I remember the, one of the last times I watched this way back, would have been 2013, I think, I saw a thing about um, how I guess he has... Now, I don't know archery, so if anybody, if any of you guys know archery way better than me, feel free to sort of correct me on this, but um, he has those, the like, what I can't remember what the things are called on his arm. Uh, he has like two like sort of plate things on his arm. And uh, one of the, the things in particular that I remember reading was how um, most archers don't have those or they would only have one because the whole point of that is when they um, kind of release the the arrow, sometimes they'll bounce off of the other person's um, or, you know, the archer's forearm. And so it's sort of to kind of course correct the the arrow a bit. So people kind of called into question, like, is he really sort of, you know, the greatest um, archer? And I feel like that that's obviously like a minor nitpick sort of thing, you know, just in terms of like production and stuff. But I know there are there are various questions with regards to if this is the case, then why don't they do that? And if this is the case, why don't they do do this sort of thing? And I don't just mean in terms of, you know, calling their backup or, or anything like that. But like when when you see as a as a longtime fan um, when you see sort of people nitpicking a lot of that sort of stuff, like Steve, what do you what do you think about when people have like a lot of those very nitpick things? And I don't just mean, like I said, like, you know, minor trivia stuff that you would that you would see like on an IMDb or something. But when people have, you know, sort of points like that, what do you think coming into these? I mean, I think overall people are way too picky about movies and stuff in general. And like a lot of people just like to complain um, like, oh, well, we didn't see them do, you know, such and such. So how did that, how did this happen? It's just, you don't see everything in a movie. You have to cut stuff out because sometimes you don't care. Like we don't see anyone eat. We don't see anyone go to the bathroom, but we know it still happens. So when you have stuff like, you know, people complain about, well, how did, you know, Iron Man get over to this part? We never see him go over there. It's like, it happened off screen. It happens. Um, so just seeing people complain about little stuff like that, or like his costume choice, like who cares? It's a movie. Like there's aliens blowing up New York city and there's a guy in a suit and a guy that turns into a rage monster. I mean, <laughs> let's suspend disbelief for a little bit and just have fun and, and watch something. Speak, speaking about Hawkeye, I just want to know, did anybody else get nervous when Cap asked Clint if he had a suit? I don't understand that reference. You know, the, should, should I the reference nervous? to 
<laughs> I think he's talking about the purple suit. The awful yes. purple blue oh, suit oh, with the giant comics. wings. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if he's I wasn't here, in like, the comics when this movie came out. Yeah. I wasn't I in the comics they, when this movie came out, so I didn't know it. Yeah. I mean, I've seen that before in the cartoons, but I figure if they threw anything on him, it would have been just a, a basic type of shield leather thing like they did with X-Men. Well, yeah. okay. So speaking of that, and and like Steve, you mentioned, you know, Iron Man suit and things, and and Kevin with bringing that up. A lot of these, like in you know X Men and and Spider Man previously, a lot of these characters have sort of different things than their, um, you know, comic book counterparts. You know, Hulk doesn't have the the purple pants, you know, and actually, Kevin, if you remember that joke was made, we talked about that when we did uh, the Incredible Hulk episode. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there's there's various things where some of these characters don't sort of wear their traditional costumes or they even update them. I I don't remember who in particular said it. Uh, It might have been you, Steve, when we uh, talked about sort of Iron Man's um, original thing was just actual like pants like trousers was that was that yeah, it, was, it was like yeah it was like metal like just metal clothes that he like literally stepped into like he's putting pants on so, right so yeah, the fact that they updated it to this whole like thing that gets attached to him and everything is, is pretty cool so i, I want to ask liam what do you think about the fact that some of these for better or worse aren't you know a hundred percent faithful to the comic books I think it really comes down to how it looks on the screen because I think what I keep hearing is that like kind of like helmet like masks just really don't work. I mean, there's a reason you, you never gave Hugh Jackman the that ridiculous Wolverine mask. You didn't give Hawkeye his mask and even C- Captain America's helmet thing. I don't think that looks good in this movie. And it's just, it's really just what looks best. I think in the Thor movie, there was a deleted scene of him with the helmet, but it didn't really look good, so they cut that too. So, I think uh, in Thor, he had it for his for like the big ceremony at the beginning, and it was more right. of like a kind of a ceremonious dress thing as opposed to a a battle helmet. But yeah, I completely agree. Like the. The Captain America suit I touched on already. I don't like how it looks. I think in the first movie it looked good because it was an army helmet and yeah. it kind of made sense. But yeah, in this one it, it didn't look so great. Um, like Iron Man still kind of looks basically like Iron Man. Um, and same thing with uh, Black Widow. She looks pretty much the same. Hulk is just pants and green skin. So that one works out fine. Um, and I, I think in, in this movie and in this phase in speci- specifically, they did a pretty good job of keeping with how they looked in the comics. Um, it's not until like the later phases where we start bringing in some of these more random characters where they get updated a lot. Like Falcon um, in the comics, he actually has like strap-on wings as opposed to like the big metal things he has. Um, so those updates, I think that's one of my favorite parts of these movies just to see how they translated stuff from from the comics into the movies because – as comics, like you could do whatever you want and it could look cool depending on what you're doing. Um, but most of those translations don't work for movies. Um, so to see how they update them is one of the most exciting things for me is just to see what they can do to make them into, you know, techie stuff or into something that makes sense and can actually exist in this world versus just like, Hey, I have these, 
you know, fancy wings that work like regular wings, but they're not. So I also think that this this Marvel stuff is kind of meant to be more ultimate Marvel universe than it is the Earth six one six. Because mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, Nick Fury that the Nick Fury in the Ultimate Universe was designed after Sam Jackson, particular specifically. Mm-hmm. So I feel like maybe Hawkeye in Ultimate Marvel looks, you know, doesn't have the purple suit. I don't. It's been a while since I've read any Ultimate Marvel stuff, but well, he did eventually uh, evolve in Six One Six as well, and I, I forget if it was before or after. It might have been right around the same time. Uh, Matt Fraction was writing Hawkeye and is kind of a mix of that uh, modern Hawkeye suit and, like you said earlier, the uh, shield leather kind of jumper. So I have to ask, um, Ruth, I know you don't necessarily come from a lot of this sort of comic background, a lot of the stuff, because, uh, you know, when I know when you go see the movies, you and I go see them and uh, it's often... I'll be reading a lot of the stuff afterwards. You know, I'm like mm-hmm. most everybody here where I'll go in relatively with little knowledge about what the film is going to be. I might know some casting choices or things like that, but you know, you want to know all of the stuff as it's actually unfolding on screen. But I know that when it comes to a lot of this comic book based stuff, I tend to know a little bit more than you in particular, but Come, not coming from that background, what do you think about, I mean, I, I know you necessarily can't say to, you know, oh, this costume versus that costume, but like, does this sort of thing make, like, does it make any difference to you? Because like, I know you know what, say, Wolverine looks like, and obviously he's not in this film, but like, if they had put Hawkeye in a purple suit, which I don't know if you've ever seen what that actual suit looks like. It's not very good in my opinion. But if they, if they had put him in a purple suit, just as an, a movie goer specifically, would this would it have played the same to you? Do you think? To me, it it doesn't. It's the character and not the uniform so much. You know, as long as like because I don't know. You know, I mean, if they would have made the Incredible Hulk orange, then yeah, because you know the Hulk is green and you know like that. Um, but for, you know, depend like what the uniforms are to me, that's not such a big deal. I mean, I've learned more about the fact that there have been so many incarnations of each one of the characters because of my friend, Corey, I've learned that, you know, as people who just watch the movies, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of controversy in the you know in the world over well that's not true to what it is and there's old school people who read the original comics going well that's not right and there's people who are going you know well the movies say blah 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 it depends on your media at the time you know if you're reading the comics then you go with what the comics have if you're watching the movie you kind of have to you know they adapted it for that does that make sense yeah, no, I, I would agree with that, uh, definitely. Jake, I'm going to kind of pose the same question to you. Do you feel similarly with uh, regards, because I know you're not necessarily big into the comics either. I know you tend to just be a lot of the, with the movies and stuff. Do you, Would you agree that, you know, because you're just watching the movies, as long as it plays in the movies, you don't necessarily, I don't want to say you don't care what the comics say, but it doesn't have to be as true to the comics? 
Uh, it, uh, my thoughts are very, very similar to Liam's there where it's got to basically work for the movies. Like I think back to, you know, we've already brought up Wolverine, but, but Wolverine's like yellow. Like I think about that bright yellow and how goofy I think it would almost be. I think maybe they should just do it once for S and G's and as like a little, you know, shout out to the comic book fans. But I imagine him running around a whole movie. And I of course picture Hugh Jackman, but trying to run around with that in a whole movie or like we're, what we're talking about in this movie, Hawkeye in his purple. And it's, I, those were, I, I you know, I, I guess I can't speak for those times because I wasn't alive at those times, but it worked for then, and I don't just think it completely works now. And, and with what the movies are trying, or at least what the the powers that be, I guess, are trying to to do and have the characters do or have them look now. Have you seen the 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 gag reel on the X Men movie on the DVD? I they don't actually, believe I have. Do tell. Okay. I think it was X Men One or X Men Two, where for one one uh, scene, uh, Hugh Jackman actually put on one of like the you know the twenty dollar Halloween costumes of the yellow Wolverine <laughs> thing, and he didn't tell anyone about it. So he just came he came running out in one scene in that, and like the whole cast just cracked up because it, it looks. So I am ridiculous. looking that up. <laughs> um, and for those who aren't familiar with the comics, the the Hawkeye costume we're talking about is very similar to the Wolverine costume where he has that kind of winged mask, but his, I think his mask is purple and the rest of the costume is like blue and purple. Um, so you had to have him in that. There you go. I just popped it up. It's, it looks ridiculous. Right. And if they put that in them in the movies, I mean, yeah, it, it's, it would it be probably terrible. worked back then. It just, it just does not. I mean, work it, now. it works now though in the comics though, like, cause comics are a different medium, but to put them in like that in their, it's, Especially because the world they're creating, I was watching after I watched it this morning. Um, I mean, I've seen it a, a thousand times, but I was watching um, some of the behind the scenes stuff. And Joss Whedon, you know, said that we built this realistic world. And uh, Paul Feige, whatever his name is, um, was saying the same thing, or Kevin Feige, whatever his name is. Um, Kevin Marvel, saying, you know, I think we've decided. I th- is that, is, that's the name I <laughs> yeah. believe we've decided that's, upon calling him. <laughs> Paul Feige was the other guy that I don't like uh, from the Bridesmaids movie. Um, yeah, but they, they built this like realistic world where they wanted everything kind of set in, you know, a sort of reality where, you know, you know, Iron Man, it was it's a science thing and Hulk was a science thing and it all kind of it made sense. Um, so to have them in these costumes that kind of look realistic, like their army suits or their, you know, uh, you know, leather spy stuff, whatever, it kind of makes sense. But then you have to throw some in there in like bright purples and blues with like a giant wing mask. Um it's not going to make sense. Like there's a whole article that I've seen going around online where someone photoshops all of the Marvel characters in their, in their actual comic costumes into the movies. And it would just, it would get laughed out of the theater. It, it looks atrocious. Well, I feel like to touch on sort of two things you said there, I feel like if they had done that, if this was still kind of late nineties, when Batman and Robin came out, when they tried doing camp, sort of things again i feel like it would it would work but i know like with joss whedon in i disagree because those batman ones failed so bad which i still don't so, get it like, had batman and it had hockey i don't get how it failed but that's just me oh my god they were <laughs> so, so bad arnold schwarzenegger man i mean come on yeah like, like, all the things of a good movie um, <laughs> yeah right I mean, it had, like, bat, it had bat nipples and stuff yeah, like, he had a credit yeah, card like <laughs> They're all, yeah, 
Oh, the credit card. My God. Oh, my God. That was um, so bad. But just like you, you said about about the fact that, you know, things with, with different, you know, the, the various mediums that they are. And I know um, being a, a big Joss Whedon fan, most people know I'm a huge Buffy the Vampire Slayer fan. And after the show ended, like a decade later, they picked up the storyline in comics. And there were a lot of things. They did something... I mean, it's not original to, you know, the Avengers or anything like that, but they did like uh, in one of the kind of, you know, season finale sort of things, they opened up another, you know, like a portal to another dimension or something, which they did often on that show. And like all these creatures came out and the writers of that comic book said they were doing things that, you know, you couldn't necessarily do in the visual medium, like especially in terms of television, and that being at that time, like say 2008, 2009-ish, when the when the um, the comics like started, and then you know a few years later, um, but just even sort of the the mixing, like you also said, of the you know technology, and then even bringing. I know John Favreau said it a few times. The concept of you know when they did Iron Man, they did it as a very sort of tech based thing and it was very sort of reality based and then mixing that with the uh you know supernatural you know godlike thing of of thor and uh you know even um even incredible hulk being sort of sci-fi based with you know gamma radiation and and things like that um, we didn't necessarily get to talk about that too much with Captain America, um, but Tim, what do you think about this, the, even that concept of sort of mixing these worlds of, you know, sort of sci-fi fantasy and supernatural with just kind of the science tech-based sort of stuff of, of like your first Iron Man? Well, first off, they did a great job of it. Which, I mean, it can be difficult for some people, but I think we touched on it when uh, we were talking the Captain America movie. They succeeded in putting all these different genres together, which means it can reach out to a whole wider audience. Um, so you got the people that like the sci-fi stuff that'd be into the Iron Man part of it. The fantasy stuff is all Thor. The historical people like Captain America. <clears throat> Taking all those different elements and putting it together into one movie can prove to be difficult, but... Obviously, Josh Whedon knew what he was doing. Obviously, the people at the MCU, and I think his name is Kevin Feige, or we'll just call him Kevin Marvel, like Paul said. Um, <laughs> well, I know, I know, our Kevin got a little upset about that when uh, <laughs> when that when that name came up. But sorry, continue. Yeah, no, oh, so okay. it's pretty much it, it. It was a hard thing to do, and they did a good job of it. I like that they did it, and like how they came, they, they came, they kept them true to form. Besides the costumes. Like, all the characters, they didn't, like, make Thor some random dude on the street. They kept him mythological and stuff like that. They kept Captain America as a man out of time. <clears throat> so it's just, yeah, I don't know what else to say. My favorite I'll build on that a little yeah. bit. Oh, go ahead. No, that's okay. Go ahead. Uh, so I'll build on that a little bit is that it is part of the fun of a lot of these movies is these mashing of genres because you have humans like, uh, you know, Black Widow and Hawkeye and stuff like that. And all of a sudden they're face to face with aliens. And, you know, it's like, yeah. well, how are they going to 
how are they going to work with that? How are they going to react to that? And it happens a lot of times in future movies, too. You know, I think back to Endgame when they're like, all right, who's first time in space? And like half of them raise their hand. And they're like, they're like, what do you mean? This is, of course, our first time in space. But for everybody else, it was completely normal to be flying around space. So I, I love I, you know, obviously it brings some comedic uh, parts to it, but yeah, it is kind of a mashing of the genres. There's a moment well, my, in Age yeah. of Ultron where Hawkeye has his moment of clarity when he's talking to Scarlet Witch, and he's just like, I'm a guy with a, a bow and arrow. None of this makes sense. Right. <laughs> Sorry to jump ahead and go ahead, Ruth. It's okay. No, I was just going to say about, you know, the, the comedic part of it. One of my favorite things uh, with Captain America being out of time is when there was a, um, a reference made and he went, I got that one because it was the Wizard of Oz. And it was like all these other things that they say that just go right over his head because he doesn't understand them. Even the, the Legolos comment and things like that. He has no clue. But the Wizard of Oz one, he's like, I know that one. I thought it was, you know, kind of humorous because it's like all the other things are like totally out of his, out of his, um, out of his era, let's say. That is personally one of my favorite uh, things as well is, is the humor. And, you know, a lot of times if it were me, I would just chalk it up to Joss Whedon with that very good blend of, you know, comedy and, and drama because he does a very good job of that from the various things that I've seen of his, but it's definitely sort of a Marvel staple by this point is doing a lot of the, you know, the, the comedy and whatever, even to, I mean, one of the most tragic scenes in particular being when Coulson is dying, you know, he gets, he gets tricked by Loki and, you know, stabbed with that, Uh, spear thing and he had commented moments before about not even knowing what the the alien tech that giant gun thing was going to do and you know Loki makes a comment to him and he shoots it and he's literally laying there or you know sitting there dying and he just goes so that's what it does and I just like personally I love that that sort of moment and just that that blending of um you know, comedy in the this moment of what should be and is arguably, you know, tragedy of of Coulson dying. Um, Kevin, I know you love a good, you know, kind of mixing of comedy and whatever, and you just love talking about favorite film moments. Do you have like a comedy moment or a drama moment in particular that you want to shout out? Oh my God, where do I start? Um, so anyway, before you stole my thunder and talked about this movie being written directed by Josh, Josh Whedon, I really wanted to give him credit here because more than probably any other movie in the MCU, I feel like this is the most quotable while also being the most comedic and dramatic at the same time, like we were just talking about. It mixes that really perfectly in a way that you know, you don't see up until maybe Ragnarok. Um, but I, there are so many lines in this movie. I, I actually thought about doing like my top 10 or maybe even top 20 quotes from this movie. And I was kind of uh, jotting them down as I went through and rewatched. Um, just the, the dramatic uh, kind of I am burdened with glorious purpose and uh, – uh, Loki saying, uh, asking if he's afraid of lightning. He's not overly fond of what follows right before you see Thor for the first time. Uh, Steve telling 
Tony, you're not the kind of guy to make the sacrifice play. And we find out, you know, how ass backwards that was. But at the same time, you get right before that, uh, Tony saying, I'm a genius, billionaire, playboy, philanthropist, stuff like that. Uh, and Thor can kind of chop in, ch- chime in right after being serious and talking about Loki and then say he's adopted. Uh, That's one of my favorite ones. I love that. <laughs> we have a Hulk, obviously. And uh, Tony early in the movie says, uh, Phil, he's, his first name is Agent. But then when he's talking to Loki and they all do come together to avenge Agent Coulson, he says to Loki, his name was Phil. So just the kind of roundabout way they bring all that together. I just got a lot of the quotes out all in one nice little junket there. There you go. And, and the Hulk, the Hulk after he, you know, uh, Loki goes, I'm a god. And he walks away after he slams him into the ground and goes, puny god. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I like how... Um... A lot of the good one-liners came from Robert Downey Jr. And I don't know if they wrote it directly like that because of how well Robert Downey Jr. did in Iron Man 1. Because he had a lot of comedic value in the first Iron Man movie. And then he had a bunch of one-liners like, you have no idea what you're when he's with Thor in the woods. Thor's like, you have no idea what games you're playing or something like that. He goes, uh, Shakespeare in the park. He just <laughs> It's just the way he delivers it. I just It's one of the reasons why I love Iron Man. It's because of the way Robert Downey Jr. portrays it. And he like uh does his jokes it's great one of the things that i like and i i mentioned this uh actually i mentioned this a few times and steve uh called me out on it a bit and not not in a mean way but i mentioned that i'm not necessarily a fan of robert downey jr and uh i said it was for i like i believe it was this one it might have been uh the next avengers but i'm pretty sure it was this one in particular where i remember some sort of comment where he made about you know not even reading the script before you know like when joss gave it to him or whatever but i one of the other things i was reading uh up on this was sort of how he did say to joss whedon originally like tony needs to be at the forefront you know he or yeah he needs to be you know in the opening scene it has to be through his view and so on and so forth and then they tried it and it didn't work. So as much as I've said, you know, on some of these episodes so far, I'm not necessarily a fan of Robert Downey Jr. I do think he plays this part incredibly well. And I, I've said that from the from the very beginning. And Jake and I kind of made the comment of like, that's because he pretty much is, uh, you know, Tony Stark. And, and it seems like uh, several other roles that he plays, he, he doesn't seem to turn Tony Stark off. But uh, I do kind of give a lot of a lot of credit to not only him, but to everybody else in the in the cast, because they do, you know, sort of let everybody else have those moments because several of them, yeah, may not have been as big as they have, you know, since become and not just based off of these movies, but other movies uh, that they've done as well. But I do like the fact that a lot of them play like this is a true sort of ensemble sort of thing you know what I mean like they they do let the other characters have some of those moments and you know one-liners and and things like that I don't know if if anybody else in particular has uh some favorite you know one-liners or anything but I'll sort of open the floor to anybody uh one of my favorite ones was early on when um Natasha was getting uh I know she was tied to the chair. They were, you know, she gets the phone call and she's like, oh, yeah, I got them right where I want them. They give me other information. And she's like, no, we're not. He's like, yeah, you kind of are. I thought that was a great scene where they thought they were in control and she was doing all that she had already. I feel like that scene 
is it very much sets up and I didn't even realize that until I was watching it again today um, that scene sort of sets up or you could you could even say the other scene is a callback when she's um, interrogating Loki when Loki mm-hmm. is, is in that chamber and I, maybe it was just I wasn't looking for it or anything but I just happened to notice that today that you know she kind of does the same thing where she, it seems like she's um, you know, kind of losing in that exchange when Loki, you know, she she says to Loki about wanting to get the red out of her ledger and wanting to get, um, you know, Hawkeye back and, and things like that. And she turns it on a dime and says, when he says about you brought the monster and she realized, you know, she, she got him to say exactly what she wanted him to say, which was that, you know, Hulk was his plan there and like I said I never realized that until I was watching it today but I definitely I loved that that moment and how they, those two scenes sort of play off of each other they kind of subtly uh, really develop the Black Widow character a lot deeper than people may realize uh, especially that opening scene establishes her character her connection with Hawkeye her ability to kick some ass obviously and Coulson just casually listens in, like, yeah, this is what she does. Um, they tell her to bring in the, the big guy, and uh, it's a uh, <clears throat> little foreshadowing for her relationship with Bruce. <laughs> yeah, yeah, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> but then, uh, to take it even a couple steps further, when Loki is talking to her, he mentions, uh, I'm going to read from my notes here, Dreykov's daughter, Sao Paulo, and a hospital fire as part of the red in Natasha's ledger. And I think uh, some of the stuff like her starting training as a spy, as a young lady, we've kind of seen flashbacks to that uh, in age of Ultron, but all those things Loki mentioned are things we could potentially be seeing here come November that we haven't even established yet. Well, it's even when... to November now, is that official? Yeah, it's yeah, official. Each... It took, it took Colonel spot. And then, you know, I don't want to date the podcast so much. Uh, kind of try to make it evergreen, but, Black Widow is now being released in Eternal spot, and Eternals is in the next spot, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I was hoping they would do a home release for that one. So much for that. No. Oh, they got to get all the money they can out of those that box office because they will get money out of that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, but sure. isn't Warner Brothers releasing Wonder Woman 1984 straight to home? Yeah. So I, I thought uh, that I thought that got pushed back. I thought they were so. I thought they announced the universe is like failing pretty much. So I mean, Marvel's still going strong. Yeah, which means I think they could be okay with doing a home release. Oh, for sure. <laughs> they could charge $100 for it, and I'd be like, yep, sign me up day one. <laughs> I'll be there, yep. <laughs> no problem. Not think twice. Ruth, were you going to say something? Yeah, I was going to say, uh, talking about um, Natasha's character, even when she's uh, talking to Clint in his, not hospital room, but you know where they have him in the room, and he says, do you know what it's like to have somebody take your brain and play with it and she's like yeah i do you know what i mean it's like it gives a it gives a hint into her character that i wish they would have done more with like they've gone through so much of it before they even give her story they give hints at it but everybody else has gotten multiple movies and they still haven't told her story yeah, well, just not just her, but like all of the sort of just these developing things that we're that we're saying about these characters. And, you know, we, we mentioned, you know, Joss Whedon wrote it and um, Zach Penn, who is the credited writer on uh, The Incredible Hulk, 
film and and has worked on various superhero things we kind of covered that in uh the incredible hulk episode but he's done various um other things um he did several drafts of this from what i read and it wasn't until joss whedon came in where he sort of said like you know you have nothing here you know what i mean like there's because joss whedon if for those of you who aren't necessarily, like I said, I'm a huge fan. I'll, I'll sing his praises work-wise all day. Um, and, you know, but one of the you things that he does. You got to qualify that. What was that? I said, yeah, you got to qualify yeah, that. Because of some things that have come out. Yeah, I'm not, maybe not a big fan of him, like, as a person so much anymore. But work-wise, I'm a, I'm a very big fan of his work. And, um, but he does, in my opinion, he does sort of interpersonal relationships very, very well. In addition to, like I said earlier, sort of the, the comedy and the, and the drama and things like that. But um, he said that he sort of started at square one and did a lot of these, you know, interpersonal relationships. And, and you know, that's sort of what he wanted to, uh, to build a lot of this movie on. And one of the, I can't remember the exact quote in particular, but one of the things he said, and I referenced it earlier with like stripping away sort of the supporting characters and things. And he, he said about that. And he said, taking all of these people who sort of shouldn't be in a place together and having them work together. And that's, you know, uh, a fan, that's what a family is. And I like that that's sort of how he, uh, how he sort of approached this movie. And even when he did sort of uncredited stuff on a lot of the other phase one and phase two sort of, um, uh, the movies and, and things, Liam, what do you think about the fact that this film features a lot of these sort of interpersonal things? And despite needing to be, you know, uh, a crossover film and you know all these things we still get sort of those those little moments of character development uh i think it's good it, you know it works really well especially with characters like uh like hawkeye or black widow who don't have their own you know their own movies to kind of to kind of set them up so uh, you know, it, it, it's really good seeing them all interact like this. Uh, I, I didn't get a chance to mention anything about uh, any quotes or anything. I mean, off the top of my head, I can't think of anything that was already mentioned. But what I will say is that I feel like all these one-liners, it's kind of a double-edged sword because uh, going forward, when I look at Age of Ultron, I think they do it way too much in that movie and it kind of reaches where it kind of reaches a point where i think you know like people don't real people don't talk like this real people don't speak in one-liners like you can't just quip the whole movie so you know some of this some of this where i feel like it's not too much in this movie it, it it might might push the edge over a little bit in in future movies it definitely wasn't done as well in Age of Ultron as it is here. But it, uh, for Age of Ultron, you obviously had the the thing where you're you're trying to one up yourself. You know, you you've established this. Now you're thinking about what's the next step you can take with it. And I think you know there there were some faults of Age of Ultron. I don't think it's as bad as some people say it is. But the the, the reception uh, wasn't it wasn't as well received as the original Avengers, obviously. So it showed. 
One of the other things I wanted to sort of ask here was, uh, Kevin, you and I talked about it a bit in, um, in our episode of The Incredible Hulk, so I'll kick it to you first. What do you think of the recasting of Mark Ruffalo here as Bruce Banner? And he actually even got to play uh, the Incredible Hulk, which not many others have really done in terms of uh, uh, motion capture and things like that. But what do you think about sort of the, the recasting here? It's unfortunate in a way because you kind of want to st- be able to have them see it through once they start something. However, I'm going to make, you know, I make no complaints about Mark Ruffalo and, and his performance and the way he's handled everything. I, I I love him. I've met him. He's a super nice guy. Uh, he does an amazing job with the part. So for me to sit here and complain about, you know, us not getting Edward Norton, I have a bigger uh, recasting kind of quip that I'll get to later. Yeah, I was I was waiting for your time to bring it up. I love Mark Ruffalo. He's one of my favorite actors. Um, so, like they said before, having him recast kind of sucks because I do like to have the continuity. But I can't imagine Edward Norton being in this movie. Like he just doesn't he doesn't fit this world. I don't think. Um, and to have him in there, I thought would have it would have done really bad for movies so to see mark ruffalo he does it perfect and he's done a great in every movie since then um and like he just he embodies like bruce banner and the hulk for me like with ed norton i never really saw him as as a good bruce banner he didn't have that like kind of nerdiness to him uh but mark ruffalo pulls it off great and to see him in there was just a pleasure i mean i would say I would say Eric Bana is my favorite Hulk, so, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I, I think either way, it doesn't matter all that much to me. Uh, I, I, I do like when they let Mark Ruffalo tap into the humor more later on in the MCU. I, I didn't really care when he's kind of doing, like, the whole depressed guy stuff in this. Did Like, in this and Age of Ultron, he does it. I don't really care. I, I like the more comedic stuff like you see in Ragnarok. I feel like that's better suited for him. I would agree. I'm the exact opposite. Like I, Ragnarok is my least favorite Marvel movie. I thought it was, it was too over the top. Like I like his character progression, but even in just in Avengers, I liked how he was kind of still kind of unsure of himself and was still worried about unleashing the Hulk. And, but then when he did, he was, you know, full on Hulk smash. And then now like up to end game, he's just, he seems like he's just there for comedic relief and it's not, you know, he's not really playing a character anymore. It's just, hey, I'm going to sit here and make a joke and, oh, yeah, smash. Let me go move some cars around. Why am I doing this? Like, I like this Hulk. This is this is what I like in, in this Avengers. I prefer the best of worlds, but we don't get that till much later. Well, that's OK. So that actually brings up sort of a, a good point. Point. And again, Kevin, we sort of talked about this in The Incredible Hulk because obviously it was very focused on that character. But we don't really get to see, um, you know, obviously we it's been talked about before. It's sort of because of licensing issues and, you know, Universal and well, Disney now not necessarily wanting to work together that much um, in terms of doing a solo uh, Hulk film. But seeing as we, we only get 
Hulk in these little installments, you know, whether it be Avengers and Thor Ragnarok, and not necessarily to give too much away sort of plot-wise, but we talked a little earlier about the fact that some of the characters um, in this movie are not only ones who've had their their own solo movies like Iron Man and things, but um, characters where you know they didn't have a movie or you know as of at least as of the time of this recording they don't necessarily have a solo movie like uh um black widow or hawkeye things like that hulk hasn't had a solo movie in a very long time so a lot of these sort of movies make up you know sort of arcs for him and and things like that so i'm actually going to kick it to the person who i still claim could become the incredible hulk in real life due to his job tim what do you think about how a lot of these movies as a whole almost make an incredible hulk movie instead of having an incredible hulk movie on his own well it's just like you said he doesn't have his own necessarily time to shine his own two hour long story so they got to give him a kind of a backstory, which is also what they do with Hawkeye. Hawkeye doesn't have his own movie, but they throw in little bits and pieces of him. They give him a more expanded role in uh, Age of Ultron and uh, Endgame, obviously. But it they have to. It's kind of hard to watch a movie with a main character like that and not have any type of background to them. So you had the Incredible Hulk before Avengers, so there is the background for that. But then if you go to like Age of Ultron and then the other Avengers movies, you need some type of, I don't know, like other information for him. So they had to give him a love interest at one point, so they did that in Age of Ultron. Then they had to give him other backstories and stuff like that, which they did in Ragnarok and in uh, Endgame and in Infinity War. It was just, I, I like what they did with the Hulk character. I don't like, I don't know, I wasn't a huge fan of Edward Norton, uh, his performance, and then what I read about him when he went to do uh, Avengers, how he was trying to write the script for Joss Whedon in some aspects of it, and being too demanding, so I liked that they switched it to Mark Ruffalo and then tailored it to more comedic, but it would have been a different direction if Edward Norton was the character. I'm sure they would have had different backstories for him, but it was the a necessity in my opinion to give him these backstories because like i said it's hard to invest into a character if you don't have that so jake because you were on pretty uh, early on we didn't necessarily get to talk about this i've talked with most everybody else about um you know sort of the recasting and even just the concept of does the incredible hulk fit in with the MCU, and and I think we're all in in agreement, it absolutely does, but you and I didn't really get to talk about that, um, and we haven't really talked much Marvel since you were on the first Iron Man. What do you think about this whole recasting? When you do a rewatch, does does Incredible Hulk, uh, you know, feature in, and and what do you think Ed Norton versus Mark Ruffalo? So I haven't done, like, a formal rewatch of the the MCU, though when I do, because that day will come, I will watch The Incredible Hulk. It is part of the MCU. If it's officially been listed, then it's there, whether we like it or not. Um, I really have not watched it since pretty much it was out in theaters and then probably when it first hit DVD and, and... I wasn't a huge fan. I wasn't wowed by it or anything like that. I do like Mark Ruffalo, so I'm happy about the recasting. Um, I think, you know, we were kind of talking about how his arcs have to be split over 
several different movies. And I think several of us are, are Lost fans, have been on Lost with Friends. And I kind of think about some of the excuse me, characters in season six, like uh, Kate and Saeed, and hopefully I'm not losing a lot of people who are like, what's lost? Krino, hang on. <laughs> but uh, uh, we're in season six, when the writers kind of realized, all right, there isn't much more to do with these guys. They became almost like, Bleh. you know, like, you know, I, Kate, you know, minus her, you know, scene in the finale, you know, the, that, that final scene in the finale there. Um, it's, they didn't have a lot to do with them. And I think once they realized we're not going to give Mark Ruffalo a solo movie, I don't know if they really, really knew how to handle that. Yes, like we talked about, the arc is split over several different uh, movies. Is it really a full arc and all? Uh, or is it just kind of mashed together? That's kind of what I think about it. I don't hate it, but I still don't see it as a complete arc or complete character. And maybe it's because he didn't get that solo, well, you know, Mark Ruffalo's version, solo movie. And, you know, the, the movie that he did get, the, the Hulk, I should say, did get, didn't turn out to be the greatest didn't maybe they were still trying to figure out how everything fits with the mcu because it was so early on but like i said it it just didn't seem complete enough for me you know we weren't getting out of this podcast without somebody mentioning lost right yeah (laughs) (laughs) um check that off the other you know check that off (laughs) So, I, got, I got to say, though, we're, we're not going to get off this Hulk discussion without mentioning he has the best moment of the movie, at least in my opinion, when he emerges, you know, and obviously you see Banner turn to the Hulk and say, that's my secret cap. I'm always angry. Another one of the quotes that I was talking about earlier. My only problem with it is that Tony, while communicating with the other members of the team early on in once the Chitauri start to invade, he asked them about Banner. And to me, that's a spoiler. And we know how much I hate spoilers. Like, it would have been better had he just shown up on the little dirt bike that he had or whatever and without Tony ever saying anything. Yeah. Agreed. Well, I don't know because, I mean, everybody was thinking it anyway because he was gone. So you know he's coming back. Whether somebody says it or not, you know it's going to happen. So he was just you know, questioning, has he gotten there? You know, is he there? Because we know from right before they, uh, you know, they attacked the ship, we know that he saw where the Tesseract was. So we know he's going to end up there. Oh, absolutely. You you know it's coming, but it's another thing to, to know it's coming in the back of your mind, and it's another thing to be reminded of it in the forefront. For example, um, this is one of my favorite movies of all time. I, I came to that realization a few years back because when people ask me my favorite movies, I always default. I default to Pulp Fiction and then Donnie Darko. But in somewhere along the line, The Avengers crept itself in there in the number three spot. And it's all because of the way they made me feel at the time. And what I'm what I'm trying to say by that is that I was so giddy going into this movie, being the Marvel fanboy that I am, and finally being able to see all of these characters come and and assemble together as it were. Uh, I I was so giddy that I didn't even realize like the movie starts by Loki being in space, talking to the other. And it says right there in plain English, the plan is for him to rule the earth 
but it mentions someone else will rule the universe. And then later on, when they meet again, he says that he who gave you the scepter. But when I watched this initially, I had zero idea in my head that there was going to be another big bad besides Loki. Like it, it just completely slipped my mind. I'm like, I'm focused on Loki. I'm focused on what's going on, not worrying about that. And that's why at the end of this movie, is, you know, I'm going to use a wrestling term. It's one of the biggest mark-out moments I've ever had, not just in a movie, but in my life. Because people know, you know, if you've heard me on other podcasts and whatnot, people who know me in real life, you know how much of a Thanos and Infinity Gauntlet fanboy I am. So when he shows up at the screen, and it took us, you know, a, a little over an hour for us to mention that it happens. Sorry if I'm jumping ahead. Uh, but when he shows up at the screen, I went absolutely batshit crazy i was like this is the character i've had on the on the screensaver on my phone for years and i'm not taking him off ever now like in, until i see him on the screen with the infinity gauntlet that's staying there and it's still there to this day um so i don't know about you guys but i was very excited because i didn't see it coming i had completely forgotten about that there was even going to be some somebody else working the whole grand plan that was loki's invasion of earth well, I think that's what sort of plays into what you were saying about about Banner in that moment when he comes up on the on the dirt bike is like if Tony hadn't mentioned what about Banner, it's not that we, you know, forgot that he was there, but there is that momentary thing of you're so caught up in whatever the other like all the other battle things that yeah, you almost... I spent this whole movie caught up. <laughs> yeah, and that's and that's the thing and that to me that's a, a great thing is when you do get sort of lost in uh, the concept of this is happening over here. So then you can have a moment like, you know, obviously it, without Tony saying it, but like what would have happened when, you know, if Banner had just kind of come up and it would have been like, oh, right, this, all of this has been happening. And, you know, the Hulk hasn't even been here for the battle. Oh, shit's really about to go down now. You know, like we have a Hulk, he, you know, he says it at the at the one point, you know, and and it's it, that is a good thing, in my opinion, when, you know, you do kind of get caught up and you you sort of forget all of these different things happening. And the fact that there is all these, you know, sort of things at play here. I want to go back for a moment because I, I didn't get to ask one person and just even the concept of all of these things going on at once. Ruth, this was arguably the first MCU film you saw you were actually you were at um your nephew's yes i was a hostage yes you were, <laughs> for those who don't know she she broke her leg and was uh at my cousin's house because uh, my cousin uh, works at the hospital so my cousin was helping to take care of her so it was just easier for her to be there and her the cousin's son who was about i'd say five four four okay yeah, four at the four. time all he wanted was to watch the avengers his father is a huge um you know comic book nerd and things like that so uh you know he obviously has gotten his children into that as well and all the kid wanted to do all day was watch the avengers so then it was said to me hey i want to watch all of these films then when agents of shield was announced i'm like okay i'll do it as well so i kind of want to ask just the concept of all of these things going on at once and even going back a few moments to the um the whole thing of the difference in the hulk now you've seen um ed norton's version ruth what did you sort of think about those two things when re-watching it this time um about the fact that i know that there was a different hulk i mean i always knew that there was a different hulk um 
characters get recast, you know, Iron Man, um, they recast Rhodey, you know, uh, it, it has to be who has the best, I guess, you know, whatever the, their best choice at the time. I, I, I liked it. I, like I said, when I watch a movie, I get into that movie and not so much all the other things that have gone on before. You know, I, I'm, a, I'm an immersive person, I guess. Okay. You know, I mean, it was it was different for me, like now rewatching it all because, I guess, like we said, I started it in the middle, sort of in this place. But to me, it was just another part of it, you know. Right. But I don't know if there's anything else we uh, we want to talk about in regards to the plot. One thing I wanted to mention, and uh, been doing some of the sort of bonus Marvel one shot things. And uh, those, which most of them, not all of them, but most of them, uh, at least the, well, you know, the first two, maybe three, sort of focus on the uh, Agent Coulson character. And I like the fact that uh, I read a thing where the phone call that he got to uh, Clark Gregg got to say, hey, you know, be in these these shorts was the same phone call where he was also told that he was going to end up dying here in this movie. I don't know if you guys have ever heard that or not, or if you guys have ever seen those, those one shots, but I, I, I kind of like that, that concept. <laughs> well, ultimately it ended up not mattering, right? Because hashtag Colson lives and uh, we'll be getting into that. I assume at some point, Paul. Yes. Oh, trust me. You're going to get a message about that very soon. <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, but one thing I do want to mention about Coulson is uh, for anyone who ever thought that Loki deserved redemption. Uh, no, Loki was never a good guy. Uh, I, I shed no tears for him. He killed Coulson and I never forgot. I mean, fair Things enough. Like, go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. I say uh, watching this today, you know, we're watching it for my thousandth time just to to kind of see like like I said, I've watched them since you know opening night in the theater for Iron Man to see them finally after years to get up to this point. And this movie was such a huge thing to finally have the the team assemble. Um, and that that one scene on the bridge where they spin around and you know they're all finally together gives me chills every single time. But watching it today, after you know seeing the entire rest of the Infinity Saga, like not to lessen this movie at all, but it's just kind of like. Oh, okay. Because after seeing what they do, like how big and epic it becomes, it's just kind of weird to see how kind of tiny this one is. And then to see, you know, Loki as as the main villain um, and to see what else he comes on down the line, it's just, it's kind of puts it in perspective. And it's kind of weird to, to watch this after the entire rest of the saga plays out. And it's that kind of one-upsmanship that I referred to earlier. It's like you're always trying to do a little more, take it to the next level. Um, obviously, they did. And you're yeah. right. It does, it does seem small by comparison. But I, I will personally never forget how it made me feel in that oh, really? time and, and how nervous I was and how giddy I was going into this movie. And then seeing that shot, which they kind of spoiled in a lot of trailers and, and TV advertisements, which I hated. Yeah, that's why I don't watch trailers anymore. They're the devil. Exactly. We're all on the exact same page. And even even uh, like Captain America's introduction in this movie was completely spoiled by the post credit scene, I believe, of Iron Man 2? No, Iron Man 2 was, um, was the Thor uh, hammer. 
Okay. It was uh, Captain America's post credit scene. It was the Captain America scene yeah. that led into a trailer for Avengers. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. yeah. The, you, the first thing you see is Cap's first scene in this movie, which is like a good, I don't know, what twenty minutes into the movie or so. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'd, I would prefer not to have seen all that. Well, yep. it's, it also, I mean, that one-upsmanship can have sort of a negative effect. Sort of what Liam said earlier about, you know, the. Uh, the comedy moments in this one and, and, you know, several of the other films that they kind of go a little overboard in, you know, subsequent films. And I'm not going to lie. I, I enjoy when, when that happens, I love a good one liner, but you know, we talked before about sort of making this, you know, a realistic world in terms of blending, you know, the, the fantasy elements with the sci-fi elements and the natural and, and all of that. And if you're watching it, because they have done, in my opinion, they've done a really, really good job of sort of, you know, making this not unlike the the Marvel Comics universe, where in that universe, if I'm not mistaken, those characters exist. Like Stan Lee exists as a character in the comics, and he's written comics based off of Thor because he could look out his window and see, hey, Thor is doing this, or Iron Man is doing that, or so on and so forth. And he, you know, turned that into the Marvel Comics within the Marvel Comics world. And I feel like the the movies have done and the you know the tv series and the well the entirety of the mcu has done a really good job of even with a lot of these these fantasy things and sci-fi things it still feels very much like a grounded world but there is always that that thing of you know and people can say well yeah but there's there's gods in regards to thor or there's you know oh you can't just walk down a a, a thing on your on your deck and you know a suit will will basically take itself off of you or whatever and you know the same could be said like Liam mentioned earlier about sort of the the quippy one-liners me personally I just sort of chalk it up to this is and I, I don't remember who said it earlier but about just the concept of you know this is the world and in this world to me, yeah, they have some some snappy one-liners, you know, every so often. But that's that's just me. One thing I also like that they did to kind of keep it grounded was, um, I think they first introduced it in the first episode of Agents of Shield. But they have action figures. They have Iron Man action figures. And they have Captain America action figures in this universe, uh, which totally makes sense. Like if you have these characters that are out there doing these things, and you know, people idolize them. You're going to make toys out of them. So I thought that was really cool that they threw that in there as well. I would definitely well, agree. Yeah. Even the, uh, I'm sorry, even the trading cards that Colson had. Mm-hmm. You know, I, have the, the... <laughs> I don't doubt it. <laughs> and you see the action figures emerge in the, uh, the Netflix shows as well. Yeah. Um, but I don't know if we have any more uh, like specific plot points or if we want to like uh, Kevin brought up earlier, the fact that Thanos was there and it's not um, the Thanos, the actor portraying Thanos that we see later on. Spoiler, spoiler. But um, I don't know. One of the, I mean, obviously, there's that's sort of the, the one post credit scene. The other post credit scene is the shawarma. I know. Uh, I don't know if this is in any of the trivia notes that anybody else has, but uh Chris Evans grew out his beard 
um, in between when they filmed this movie and when they filmed that post credit scene. That's why he's not eating. He was doing a movie where he had a beard, and that's why he has his hand up uh, by his face to sort of cover his face. Um, but I don't know if, uh, if we have anything else sort of plot-wise. Like I said, I did just a very, very basic... Um, sort of plot thing here we've you know obviously talked about various things that we enjoyed with the plot um, in general but did I did, did any of us miss anything that anybody wants to sort of uh, speak about in particular I just want to touch back on that Thanos thing um, like you were saying before like I wasn't ever imagining at the time uh, there to be like another big bad after Loki I thought that was to be like this is the big battle and while the Marvel movies were doing well I wasn't expecting to become a 23 movie saga. Um, so I, I thought this was kind of the big culmination of like, hey, we have the Avengers together and that's it. And then maybe we'll get Avengers 2, maybe we'll get, you know, Avengers 3. But to build up to the heights that they did, um, I had no idea. So when they had that that mid credit scene and showed Thanos, my theater erupted. And it was one of the coolest scenarios I've ever been in just to see like, all that energy and everyone freaking out over that. Um, and and to know what's coming in the future, that was just an amazing moment. My theater erupted as well, but I think some of them didn't know, like they didn't make the connection and realize who it was. They just knew. I think they might have been excited for that there was more to come and there was another big bad guy. Because I heard some people on the way out of the theater. I vividly remember somebody asked, "Was that a super scroll? Was that a scroll? Was that, you know?" Uh, yeah, my friend I, that I went with wasn't. He's not a huge fan of of the comics. He goes, "Who's that purple monkey guy?" Oh my God, oh, <laughs> I knew, I knew. But and the um, other, I was going to talk about it as far as recasting goes. Uh, I would have no problem if they went back and George Lucas to the hell out of this, and just made that into that that mid credit scene into the Thanos that we've grown to know and love. I would have. I'm surprised they did that. Well, Jake, I'm really I believe, surprised they did. I believe we talked about this on on the Iron Man one, and Steve, I think we commented on it when we did Iron Man two about you know sort of going back through and putting, um, uh, replacing Rhodey. I'm trying to think of the actors' names. I, they're not Terrence coming. Howard and uh, Don Cheadle, right? Don Cheadle, yeah. Yeah, taking taking Terrence Howard out and putting. Um, Don Cheadle in and Jake I, like I said I think we talked about it and you said there probably is some sort of like illegal supercut out there where somebody has done that to their faces and I know um, <laughs> we did not talk about that but we actually I'm, I'm 99% uh, sure we did but um, we talked about it but uh, <laughs> oh there you go <laughs> yeah I'd be totally for that I wouldn't buy that in a heartbeat I'm not a fan of Terrence Howard at all um, and I love Don Cheadle so to get an original Iron Man with him in it would be amazing I saw, uh, same thing with Hulk. Like I, that's, I that's like what Ed I was going to say was but... this this past you know and I'll, I'll be dating a little bit uh, the the podcast here but this past um, April Fool's Day um, when no one wanted any sort of jokes because the current situation we're in in the world is a joke enough um, but uh, somebody made a, a post that you know oh Disney and Marvel announced that they're that they were going to basically do that with the Incredible Hulk and I immediately was like one no because they don't own that Universal owns that we've talked about that a few times sort of on the podcast here but it's also a matter of just in terms of um you know royalties and all of that sort of stuff they wouldn't and respect as well I mean that's just kind of messed up to be like hey Edward Norton guess what we're going to erase you and like 
for continuity to get it, but that's just kind of disrespectful. Also. Right, and that's and that's the thing, and and I think even Steve, you as somebody who's not a Terrence Howard fan, I think you could probably say the same thing. There was it would be <laughs> for him. <laughs> okay, okay, but just generally speaking, for so many legal reasons, like you wouldn't yeah. be able to to do that. But I I I have no doubt that somewhere, and with all of us combined, I'm sure we could probably, if we really put our minds to it, we could scour the internet. But but uh, I'm sure somewhere somebody has out there where they've kind of uh, somebody mentioned earlier about the fact that people have photoshopped the comic book uh, equivalent outfits onto people. I have no doubt that there's somebody out there who's done that with, uh, you know, putting in the uh, the quote unquote correct versions of some of these actors when they've been recast into the films. <laughs> I, mean, I think they the have the technology. Yeah, right. That too. Yeah. Um, I think the Thanos one would be easier to manipulate, though, obviously, with that character being as, as heavy CGI as he is. Uh, but also, I don't even know who that actor was that did Thanos in this movie in, in the Avengers there. But I don't know if they I don't think they actually cast him saying you're going to be Thanos like forever. I think he was almost like a placeholder. If I'm not mistaken, yeah. it's da- Damien, I would believe it's pronounced, and it's Poitier. No, I, and I read on his Wikipedia page, no idea if he's related to Sidney Poitier. <laughs> Interesting. Never heard of either. But again, you never heard like of Sidney I said, Poitier. That's a shame. <laughs> Sorry, is it one of those like uh, uh, old old things there, like Paul? Like, that? oh yeah. <laughs> Don't forget, Jake. I think in I'm this... going to be offended here. Yeah, I was going to say in this podcast, <laughs> I'm very, in the middle just... age range. <laughs> very well. No, no, no. Paul is not in the middle age. Paul is is on his deathbed. But uh, when it comes to <laughs> wait his age... a minute, that's <laughs> mother. That's a little offensive. Paul is older <laughs> than his mother. No, no, no. Paul is older than his mother guys you don't understand <laughs> uh, paul is older than his parents so <laughs> for those who aren't aware this but... is a continuing joke in our friend group that despite the fact that i'm only almost 30 i'm really about a about about what 65 66 do we say yes at minimum <laughs> somewhere around there right aarp's knocking on the door for you but uh <laughs> So no, I don't know any of those uh, those those siblings or not siblings or whatever the heck they were. But uh, again, I don't think he was supposed to be like the final Thanos. So I almost feel like they could easily just throw Josh Brolin in there and say, "Yep, that's how it is." Well, thing that I don't understand is it's not so much of throwing Josh Brolin in there, but I mean, it's a completely CGI character. So why they kind of reshaped him and made him pink instead of purple? Like, I don't, I just kind of don't understand that progression of how they went from this one thing and then say, you know what, we're going to change it to look not completely different, but different enough. Like I would like to see them kind of fix the latter movies and make them a bit more purple and a bit more menacing. They, they change his color like every single movie too. Yeah. Like infinity war and Endgame are the only movies where he's got a consistent color. I mean, he's got a different color in this then Age of Ultron, and then Guardians of the Galaxy. He's like more blue. I feel like. Yeah, maybe uh, it's the lighting. I don't know. They just didn't really know what they were going to do yep. just yet. Well, and I it's mean, different people too. I know that, uh, according to what I read, at least it was sort of Joss Whedon's idea to sort of put that in, uh, whether it was at the end credits or just the concept that he was going to be, you know, th- this other person, this other, you know, higher 
um, being, I almost said higher power, but I know as a wrestling fan, Kevin would have gotten on my case about that. Um, but, uh, you know, there was sort of this, you know, person behind the person sort of thing um, was Joss Whedon's idea to have it be Thanos because to him, you know, being a comic book fan, he, he made the comment that, um, you know, he is arguably the, the biggest badass in the galaxy or in the universe in terms of, of the comics. So it would just make sense sort of going forward that they would have that character um, be there and to sort of just tease him here. But it, it, it does, it's one of those few times where other than, um, you know, recastings or, or things like that, but it is one of those rare times where it seems like they may not have necessarily had too big of a plan for what it was maybe it was just sort of like hey we'll introduce the character and that character will come to light eventually or you know we'll slowly develop it um but it seems like one of those rare times sort of where the mcu and kevin feige or kevin marvel or whatever we're calling him may not have necessarily known as much as he does now i mean uh you know sort of we're gonna go from here to here to here to here sort of uh sort of deal so actually i did read an interview where uh, Joss Whedon did say something along those lines where, yes, I want him to be the big bad guy. He's going to be in this scene. I don't know where it'll fully go because, and correct me if I'm wrong, Kevin and anyone else that's really big in the comics, Thanos in the comics world is his whole, uh, what's the word? I'm like, motivation, there we go, is to court death. And that's why he eliminates half the universe there. And they even make a little tiny reference. Uh, the other makes a little reference there, like to go after Earth or whatever, go after the Avengers is like courting death itself. So Kevin was like, or not Kevin, uh, Joss was like, I'll throw that line in there because I know that's kind of the direction he takes in the comic books. But I'm not sure if that's the direction he'll take in the movies, but at least a little something something's there. And it's for the fanboys, too. Yeah. Yeah, and it and it worked because there there is no bigger Thanos fanboy than myself, and I kind of knew it was coming when you when you heard him say to challenge them is to court death, and at that point you're kind of like on the edge of my seat, and then you see it, and then I was out of my seat. Um, but as far as his appearance go, I personally was never one hundred percent satisfied in any of his iterations. Uh, and, and Jim Starlin, the creator of Thanos, was asked about this at one point. He was like, well, it was interesting to see him with pupils. I've never seen that before. And I get why you kind of have to do that uh, cinema-wise. Cinema um, but again, I'd say his brief appearance his brief appearance in Guardians of the Galaxy was probably the closest that, I, that it came to being uh, 100% authentic. Like, as I can't necessarily speak on the comics. I'm not, uh, clearly I'm not as big into the comics as, you know, you or Steve or anybody else. But I do know, from the, the things I do know, I knew um, sort of when I saw this, and from just reading things in general, that, uh, you know, he was going to come into play. And I remember a thing where Joss Whedon, because he also did Age of Ultron, he mentioned, like, oh, it's not going to be in this film because they kind of wanted it to be sort of this thing of he's, he's always lurking you know, sort of, sort of thing. He's always in the background and we, we kind of have to build up to, to this. And I know that, um, just in terms of building up a lot of these, they've just, they, 
they just kept going and obviously it doesn't seem like they're going to be stopping anytime soon and i know that none of us have uh, any complaints about that um but do we have anything else i know uh uh steve i wanted to ask you about um filming locations in particular and i i wanted to also comment very quickly i think one that I would assume most, if not all of us, have been to was uh, Grand Central Station. And I know one of the last times that Jake and I were in uh, New York City, we were talking about looking for filming locations for like the Avengers and things like that. And we ended up going to Grand Central Station. But I don't think we ever put together that we were originally looking for sort of Marvel filming locations and then went to Grand Central Station. Do you remember that? I don't think we went to Grand Central. Grand Central. We, I don't think we made it there. I, I I know I went I th- I could have sworn we yeah, went Yeah, you went with Patty and John. You for yeah, you, uh, with with our friends Patty and John, but I don't, I don't, think I don't we know did. why I thought I thought you were there when they sort of showed how that archway thing works where you could talk and All you. Okay. I'm uh, my apologies then. <laughs> my apologies then. Um but yeah, so Steve, do you uh do you have any uh things you want to talk about with regards to filming locations? Uh, so technically, there was nothing filmed uh, in that area. They actually created the entire Battle of New York on a soundstage because um, you can't close that area down in New York City. I mean, that's that's a huge, huge, uh, busy area. Um, but they did such an amazing job rebuilding it that I was actually able to go and take pictures um, that lined up perfectly. Um, so the the main battle they have um, out well first off Stark's mm-hmm. Tower is the MetLife building which is right above Grand Central Station so if you're ever there you look up there's a big MetLife building that's Stark Tower they cut about half of it off and then the rest of it was um, the construction of Stark Tower um, the Chrysler building was still there uh, obviously that's where Thor uh, went up and did all his lightning stuff to bottleneck the the portal. Um, and then the part where they finally kind of group up and have that big iconic scene and Ruffalo scene where he turns into the Hulk that was on the Park Avenue viaduct. Um, so that part was kind of kind of scary, kind of fun to go up and do that because there's no sidewalks there. There, it's just it's just a road with a very very small shoulder. Um, so we're trying to figure out how to get up there. If ever you want to go up there, um, if you're looking at Grand Central. If you walk down to Grand Central and then make a right, there's a hotel on your left. Um, if you go in that hotel, there's an elevator that goes up to the second floor, and that has an exit that goes out onto the raised level. Um, I've had a lot of friends tell me to walk up the shoulder and just try not to get by a car. Um, but if you go up that elevator, there's actually a walkway, and it's completely safe. Um, I was going to say, we have to give the uh, be careful sort of warning. We don't want people just walking out into traffic yeah. or something. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so it is it is a very busy road lots and lots of traffic uh i got out there and i was lucky enough to uh have a, a brief window of like two three minutes where just cars stopped coming and i don't know what gods were shining down upon me but it was amazing to have the whole bridge empty to myself um and i got all the shots i wanted um and it was just really cool to be able to be there to see where all the avengers assembled um and formed at this team um so that was really cool uh the shawarma building uh does not exist i wanted to go there and have some shawarma but it's not real um and then the other <laughs> scene i don't know if they actually filmed it there i'm guessing they did um because i mean it's weird that the the final scene in um central park over the bethesda terrace um where they send loki and thor back to asgard and uh, tony and uh bruce 
right away in the car. I'm guessing that was actually filmed on location. I'm not really sure. Uh, it's another one that it was it was spot on. Um, trying to get shots there though was nearly impossible because there was about seven thousand people walking around there. But um, I got a few shots there, and that was cool. The weird thing about it, um, and kind of a whole weird thing about like the filming location thing I do, is that when you actually visit these places and see their relation to other places, you're just like, why would you do that? Because um, if you have Stark Tower and the main battle is like right there in kind of like in the center of Midtown, um, Central Park is a good, you know, 15, 20 minute drive depending on traffic. Why would you go up there just to have them? you know, teleport to Asgard. Is like there is there something special there maybe? I don't know. It just it seemed like a kind of like weird like why would you drive twenty minutes out of your way just to you know, I would just like go to the top of Stark Tower and, and teleport from there unless <laughs> that's where the Bifrost is. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe able to get a nice less busy shot of that right about now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When this first started, I had friends up in New York. They're like, oh man, you if you want to do some photography, come up right now. Like everything's empty. And I was like, I would love to, but I don't want to die. Um, (laughs) But even on top of that, just like it's, it's a scary, scary time, but man, I not to make light of it, but I would love to be able to go up to like New York city right now or to LA and just take all the pictures I want with no one in it. It would be amazing. Sure. Um, Do we have anything else sort of plot or production or anything like that before we uh, head out of here? I just had one quick question. I think it was to Kevin, who was the Thanos fanboy. That's me. Okay. Um, so I don't know a super lot about him. Like the main thing I know about him is he has the Infinity Gauntlet, and that's a kind of his big thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you watch this, uh, watch Avengers, because I kind of realized today. I mean, I've seen them so many times that I kind of lose track of what we know at this point. Um, but at this point in the in the movies, there were no Infinity Stones. We didn't really hear about the Infinity Stones until. Um, dark world Mm -hmm. so when you were watching this and you realized that thanos was in there did you ever put together that the the scepter and the tesseract were infinity stones or was that not until they actually said it yep not not at all not until they actually said i I knew thanos was going to be there obviously you see him but Mm -hmm. not until that post-credit scene of the dark world where they say uh about getting not not storing the infinity stones too close together uh okay that, that was another big mark out moment for me because i didn't really think they would go down that road it wasn't realistic to me you know to to just have all of this so connected and built up to one big bad with the with the infinity gauntlet but once i realized they were doing it woo! yeah I, I was just hoping i didn't die before i got to see it happen that's all that was on my mind for years. Yeah, I said the same things three times. I was like, I just need to get to the end of this year so I can watch the final <laughs> Avengers movie. After that, I don't care what happens. Let me go and do whatever. But <laughs> We're very much on the same page. You made it. We're good. Uh, talking about uh, the Infinity Gauntlet and stuff like that, I don't know if you guys noticed, but they specifically showed Thanos' right hand before they showed his face to show that he didn't have the Infinity Gauntlet in that post credit scene. I did not catch that. I never noticed yeah. that. Um, we actually, if you watch it, you know, they'll show his right hand on his on like his chair before they show his face. I think the only hint about it before, and um, Ruth and I talked about it very briefly in Thor, was in uh, Odin's treasure room. You see a brief shot of the Infinity Gauntlet, and of course later on, spoiler, spoiler, we find out that's not the real thing, but... Yeah, that's, I think, the only sort of... And it was just, like, very briefly, like, as 
I think it's as Loki is letting in um, the Frost Giants, you you briefly see the the gauntlet there. But I think that was kind of the only sort of hint that it was even possible in this in this world. Yeah, I still didn't quite believe at that point. You know, it was it was just so far down the road. It was so you know beyond my imagination that they could do this and pull it off and make it good. Well, that's that's Especially something with so with Thor's like with the the fourth movie to come out so like to have them i thought that was just gonna be you know fan service like hey look it's the infinity gauntlet and you know nice cool reference and a little easter egg but yeah to see what they actually did with that uh but that is one thing i've kind of like taken out because it kind of doesn't make sense if if thanos went to wherever to the elf world or the dwarf world to get the gauntlet made for him did that happen i guess before the, the Thor movie and then Odin knew about it and it was something that was existed previously or did that just bad continuity like I'm, I'm not really sure how that works out it just seems kind of weird that he would have it but then we find out movies later that that Thanos went and had it made for him um, yeah I think it's just a matter of bad continuity and they just needed to explain it away somehow so it was just oh this isn't the real one or, and then... or is it a matter of is it a matter of that in in uh you know in Odin's world, time is not as linear as it is here. Do you know I can I mean? potentially buy into that. Yeah. The fact that because we know that, that time is not linear, we find that out. So is it something that could have existed there before? As far as Marvel purposes goes, uh, or a go, um, Time is kind of linear, like because when you think about uh, how far the Guardians and Star Lord go out into space, and when he comes back to Earth, if you go by the actual scientific explanation of how time works, when he comes back to Earth, it should be much, much further ahead in the future. But he's still, you know, this thirty-year-old guy, and he comes back thirty years later. So, for Marvel purposes, they they always simplified things that way. They never got too scientific, like you'd see in something like, uh, you know, Interstellar or even Planet of the Apes. Um, you don't really see that. I'll just sort but, of go back to the same. We said it earlier, and and um, it's sort of one of my things. You know, we referenced Lost earlier, where sort of if you could buy into this. You know, like, you know, I with Lost, my joke is always, you know, if we could buy that there is a smoke monster, why can't we buy this? And, you know, like we said earlier, you know, if we could buy that, that, you know, this man had gamma radiation and, and Tim continually tells me that's not really he works with gamma stuff and he continually tells me that's not possible. It's not possible. Um, <laughs> I like to believe it's though. not. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, Paul. If I go into where the gamma stuff is, I'm not going to come out the Hulk. I'm going to come out dead. That's... Have you tried? Oh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Have you tried it? But Tony Stark flat out says to there. Bruce Banner in the movie, or one of them says, you know, like it should have, it shouldn't have worked, and it did. I think you just need to believe. Okay, so you're saying you want me to go where it is and see yeah, what don't, happens. Don't, don't record Fox yourself saying not legally that. liable if you do that. <laughs> yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, wait. No, I have I'll... a question. I have okay. a question. Go ahead. Okay, so earlier y'all were talking about the fact that you can't forgive Loki for killing Coulson. Okay, so we know that the staff that Loki uses mind controls people. 
right? Is there a possibility that he is also under that influence? I, I do is think that, that's what was, in, that, I think that's what's been implied. So the, fact, so the fact that he killed Coulson, was that his fault? If he was being controlled by the staff, which we find out, spoiler, in later movies, that he also was being controlled by the staff, is he responsible for what he did? And if so, then uh, Clint Barton is also responsible for the agents that he killed while he was under the influence of Loki. I think with I think with Loki and the staff, the staff is m almost more kind of like a drug. He's like under the influence of the staff, but he's still he's still doing these things. He's still making these making these decisions. So it's kind of like yes and no. But the doctor was aware enough to put a safety in to the um, to the thing that he was building, you know. But he still built it. So yeah. is there the possibility? Well, I, think I mean, it, I'm not saying, you know, Loki, uh, arguably Loki is a bad guy. We, we understand that. But, you know, there is that argument of if he was being controlled by the, the, um, the stone, because there was an infinity stone in his staff, theoretically, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So could he have been being controlled by that? Well, I think to, to go with what Liam habit. said with it, it's and I'm not and I'm not saying this about anybody, you know, uh, like here in particular, but I, I think to go along with what he said, it's like a if, if it's like a drug sort of thing where you're under the influence, but you still are aware enough. Like you said, like you commented on, you know, Selvig knew and whatever people do that all the time. Right. Where. People will forgive certain things that you that people do when they're on drugs or when they're drunk or whatever, but then they won't forgive certain other things because, like you, right, you it, know it enough to know what's right and wrong. Clint knew what was right and wrong as well, and you know he was aware of what was happening, but he still did it. So, it it just seems to me that you know just to play devil's advocate, if we can forgive one but can't forgive the other. I think it's actually a really good point, honestly. Um, I'm still not giving him a pass, but it's a really good point, especially <laughs> well, I, I get that, you know. especially because um, something that I noticed in, in this rewatch I did right before we uh, we sat down to record, um, when they're all arguing on in the lab and mm -hmm. Bruce ends up grabbing uh, the scepter mm -hmm. and it was about to you know perform his trick or whatever, uh, and, you know, Cap's arguing with Tony and Nick, Nick's arguing with Natasha and they kind of imply like they, they go to that upside down kind of shot of of the, the stone inside the scepter. And they kind of imply that it's uh, kind of mind controlling all of them just because they're in the proximity of it. Or was it feeding off from their like creating havoc? in order to feed off the anger. I think it's both. I think it's like a cyclical thing. But so in in the same way, we know that Loki is jealous of Thor, and so it could feed off from that jealousy but still control him well, to I, influence I him to do things that he wouldn't necessarily... I mean, not that he would have done it. And let's all be honest, we're going to blame Joss Whedon for Coulson's death. Yeah, cause because Joss Whedon kills everybody. <laughs> 
Yes, exactly. <laughs> when all is said and done, it's Joss Whedon. He kills off his main characters. He he absolutely. And I, again, I know a lot of you who are on this aren't necessarily big fans of his, but that's kind of one of his trademark things is, you know, there's always sort of a big main character or big emotional death sort of thing. So I will agree with that. But I think one of the things that it comes down to is with um, with Barton and with Selvig in particular, we at least sort of see them remorseful and off the top of my head, having not watched any of the rest of these for a while, because as I've said before, for me, this is kind of the first time I'm rewatching everything since the obviously the first time I watched it. I don't remember a time in particular when Loki tried to say like, hey, I'm sorry for doing that or sorry for, you know, some of the bad things I've done. But also, you know, he's still under the influence of that stone. Like even at the end of this movie, he still has that staff. The other ones have, you know, gotten their. No, no, no. But I just mean, I just, I just mean, because earlier we talked about, we talked about the fact that, you know, he just generally speaking, going forward, Steve and, and Kevin in particular were saying they wouldn't necessarily give him a pass, you know, when like when spoiler alert, when what happens to Loki happens to Loki at one point, a lot of people were like, oh, no. And that that's credit to Tom Hiddleston, of course, because, you know, he portrayed that role great, in my opinion. And I think everybody else would agree that he, you know, he kind of brings you to that point of wanting to feel sympathy for him. But I think with what they were saying in particular, uh, I don't know if he's ever expressed remorse for that over the course of the next several films. Yeah. But like I said, you know, up to the end, he's still, you know, uh, you know, arguably being influenced by that staff. Like I said, that's just my, that's was my question was what did anybody else think? I would, con- I w- I'd say the best way to, com- to describe the staff would almost be to compare it to the symbiote that you see in Spider-Man, how it, how it affects them negatively and how it affects different people differently. He's like, I mean, it doesn't have as much of effect on Peter Parker as it would on Eddie Brock. And Eddie Brock gets affected by it. He could, he, he still ends up becoming kind of this anti-hero. And then, of course, you got Cletus Cassidy gets affected by the symbiote, and he's still, he's still a, uh, you know, psychotic serial killer, because that's who he was. So I would say it's an amplifier, basically. Yeah, it sort yeah. of heightens things. Okay, yeah. it's affecting things differently. I mean, Hawkeye. Hawkeye originally is a much better person than Loki is originally. So, you know, it, 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 it changes that a little bit. And it's, and actually to go along with that, like Hawkeye is a, like a trained, I don't want to say killer, but in essence he is sort of a trained killer. So it might make sense that that would be sort of heightened in him and he's taking orders and he may know right from wrong, you know, morally, but he's just following orders. Well, basically, he's a soldier. Yeah. So, you know, he's he's doing what he's told to do. The same thing with the doctor. He was doing the science thing. Like I said, I just wanted to see what anybody else thought because we know that the staff does, you know, uh, control people. So I just wondered what anybody else thought as far as, you know, could he have just been under the influence of that? And by that same token, I'm just curious. Like, I, I've never 
seen a straight answer. Maybe there's one out there in interviews and whatnot. If they knew uh, from the beginning, because obviously they take different forms, like, you know, the, the Tesseract and the Scepter and the Gem and the Scepter is not, they, they don't appear to be Infinity Stones. However, they have always controlled space and mind in a way that an infinity infinity stone would so i i i'm just curious if it was ever answered that they knew from the beginning that this is where they were going to go that that was going to be the space stone that 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 was going to be the mind stone and they were just kind of covering it up uh until it was such time to reveal it i don't know if they knew because I, I think it was mentioned earlier, it wasn't sort of said until uh, Thor The Dark World that that's sort of where they were going. But I think they might have put hints in there, kind of like they put hints in a lot of these sort of early phase one films about other things to come. You know, the fact that like the, um, what is it, in Iron, is it the first Iron Man or Iron Man 2 where we see like a brief thing of like Captain America's shield? And that's obviously not the same thing as what we find out Captain America's shield is, but we we sort of get a hint that like, oh, there's this grander thing of Cap's shield and, and just sort of, you know, even just the concept, like I said earlier, of the, the Infinity Gauntlet being in um, Odin's treasure room and it it might have been almost a fan service type thing that they could say later on well you know sort of retroactively it is this or the or that or the other thing I mean I'm going to say appearance was in Avengers right he didn't have the scepter in in uh, the first Thor movie so it's safe to say that that was probably set up um, as for the Tesseract I mean I would like to think they had a plan but I mean, who's going to, you know, it's tough to say if you can find an article where they said, no, we had no idea, but it worked out so well, they're they're not going to admit to that probably. Yeah. And and there is a there is a cosmic cube in, in Marvel Comics lore, which was that the Tesseract was kind of the avatar for in, in the cinematic universe. And they weren't the same things like the cosmic cube is not um, an infinity stone. So they did have something to base that off of. But you're right. Once they introduced this, the scepter and the gem in there, then they probably had an idea where they were going. Were you going to say do... a certain word just a minute ago, Kev? I was. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because they do foreshadow a lot of things that you see coming in uh, in the MCU and not just in, in the movies when they uh, talk about phase two. That obviously leads up to uh, the Winter Soldier when they talk reference the World Security Council. That becomes important later. Uh, as well as uh, life model decoys. Tony says life model model decoys. That's a little trigger word for Marvel fanboys. And they talk about the cellist. All of those things get introduced later on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Absolutely. I picked up on those, of course. This, well, both times I watched it in preparation for this podcast. <laughs> and that's, they, Whedon, Whedon's kept it in the family there. Yeah. Do we have anything else that we want to talk about? I know some people sometimes come to these with some trivia, but before we get to that, I want to make sure we don't have anything else in terms of sort of plot-wise things. Uh, it's not really plot-wise, but I think because I'm not as positive towards this movie as maybe other people are. It's it's not one of my favorites. and Blasphemy. I'd say... The reason for that, and I feel like I'm going to get some 
and I'm going to get some flack for this too, is it's a little too Josh Whedon, especially when I look towards future movies and the Russo brothers take over. I kind of see what the Russo brothers do as more fitting. Like I kind of, I kind of like what they do a little more when you see Winter Soldier and Civil War and Infinity War and so on. I would agree 100. percent But this movie still holds a special place mm-hmm. in my heart just because of yeah. of what it was. But yeah, I'm not a huge Whedon fan, so there's that. But yeah, Brewster Brothers, I, I prefer their style much more. And it's also kind of, uh, for me, uh, the first Avengers, I, I kind of like it a little less because of just like Age of Ultron bleeding into it and how much I really do not like Age of Ultron. Uh, I really I really don't like that movie at all. And so it kind of... It, it kind of makes me like Avengers a little less too, somehow. And I mean, Kevin is talking about how much he likes Thanos and was looking forward to that. I was kind of in the same boat w- with Ultron. Ultron was a villain I was really looking forward to seeing, and is I was extremely disappointed with with how they did that. But can we all guess who I'm gonna call on for uh, when Age of Ultron <laughs> discussion comes up? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but no, I'm I, I'm going to say I will, and, I, I will say I will say that uh, I'm I'm no expert in the works of, of Joss Whedon. Uh, I really, aside from these Avengers movies, don't know much about what he's done, um, and I don't particularly care either. Um, however, I will say that it's kind of a, a situation where Joss Whedon walked so the Russo brothers could run. That's how it, sure. That's how I view it. And it's interesting because. I think the Russo brothers are a much better fit, but look at their prior work. You know, when you look at Josh Whedon and look at, you know, Buffy and Firefly, you think that's that, that, that's a pretty good fit for Avengers. But then you look at the Russo brothers, did community and arrested development. You wouldn't think you wouldn't think that they would be able to m- match the comedy and the action as well as they do. Yeah. You would think Josh Whedon would be better I was, for that. I so. was going to say something similar uh, just in terms of, and, and I say this as a huge Josh Whedon fan, like I, I definitely think for what the Marvel Universe needs to be and it and it has grown into be, I would definitely agree sort of with the analogy that, that Kevin used, which was that I think to me, him, Joss Whedon coming in and bringing all of these characters together and sort of setting up that concept like we talked about you know earlier on in the podcast of that mixture of comedy and drama and character interactions and stuff and for me like I said that's what he does really well and I I, I think that that all sort of needed to be set up perhaps in these early ones so that the Russo brothers could take all of that and maybe amplify it a bit in in sort of that grander scale that they that they do later on i would also say on the buffy firefly so on and so forth thing that i think that one of the things that whedon sort of excels at is sort of not saying smaller scale but sort of being the underdog in a way in terms of Uh, He made a comment once in regards to Buffy and Angel that he would much rather have, you know, a thousand or, you know, a hundred people have to watch his show than a thousand people like to watch his show. And 
the Marvel movies, by even by the point of the Avengers, I might argue, they weren't the underdog anymore. So he... He, he didn't necessarily need to, like, quote-unquote, prove anything or, like, present anything necessarily new. As much as I said earlier how I think he did a very good job with, you know, bringing together all of these elements, I feel like with the creative team they had behind it, that being Kevin Feige and John Favreau and even some of the actors like Robert Downey Jr. and things like that, I think... I don't want to say almost anybody could have pulled this off. I don't think it needed to be Joss Whedon that pulled this off. I think he did a very good job with it, but I definitely think that he excels better when he's more the underdog than going into sort of a gigantic big budget thing with all of this immediate support behind it. And I mean, like you said, cabin in the woods is a perfect example that that was made uh, I think a few years before Avengers came out. Um, so like he actually had not necessarily discovered, but he cast um, uh, Hemsworth in Cabin in the Woods before he was really anything big. Uh, but then it got shelved for a few years until after Avengers hit big, and then they released it. And now it's like, oh, well, you just jumped on this bandwagon of using Hemsworth. And he's like, nope, actually, we filmed this like three or four years ago. And so, yeah, that's one of his, his better ones. I mean, he didn't direct it, but he wrote that, but... Yeah. And like you said, he just really blends the elements uh, of comedy and drama together as far as, you know, as much as you can in a superhero movie. Because you have things like, uh, you know, the, the fan service of Cap saying and Hulk smash. But at the same time, you also get stuff with like, um, sir, shall I try Miss Potts, uh, which just tugs right at the heartstrings, gets me every time. Not a bad English accent, by the way. I, I try. <laughs> it's like lost references. It wouldn't be in a podcast unless I tried uh, some sort of voice or accent. <laughs> uh, I feel like that's probably gonna, unless I know Tim, if he's still there. Uh, I know Tim tends to come with uh, what we what we've been calling sort of Tim's tidbits. I want to call them Tim bits, but I'm pretty sure a, a Canadian donut shop would sue us if we called them Tim bits. Um, or they could sponsor it. Oh, they could. Tim Hortons, for those who aren't aware of that spot. Um, but uh, Tim, I know you tend to come with a lot of uh, trivia type things. So you got any uh, tidbits for us there? I got two. So okay. at one point, I, I know, I know, it's not a lot, but we covered a couple of them. But uh, one of them was when the uh, Mark Ruffalo references that he went to essentially shoot himself and the other guy spit it out. That's a nod to a deleted scene from the Incredible Hulk movie where Edward Norton actually puts a gun in his mouth and goes to shoot it and he transforms it and stops himself. So that's a little throwback to that. And also, there was supposed to be a huge Spider-Man reference in this movie. Um, the filmmakers actually negotiated with the Amazing Spider-Man people and got the rights to put Oscorp in the New York City skyline. But by the time the negotiations finished, they already had the rendering of the New York City skyline done, so they actually scrapped that. Um, I don't know if anybody else has anything, but I, I found something that I found kind of amusing uh, when I was going through IMDb trivia earlier, and it said the Pentagon said they, quote, couldn't reconcile the unreality of S.H.I.E.L.D. and our place in it, 
unquote. And it says, to elaborate, it's left ambiguous as to whether S.H.I.E.L.D. is a national or international agency, and the Pentagon didn't like the implication that the U.S. military would answer to anyone but the U.S. government, and thus declined involvement in the movie. However, the U.S. Army did get involved. So I, I thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> Does anybody have any? Does anybody do their rankings? Um, we I don't think we've done like rankings in terms of where this ranks out of all of the films. Yeah, out of the other MCU movies. I don't think we've done that yet on the podcast. Uh, for me personally, like I said, this is my first time rewatching, so I don't necessarily have a, a good ranking. I know. Kevin said earlier this would be sort of his number three film overall, but if any of you guys want to sort of say where you would put this, please feel free. Uh, for me, it'd be a top five. I don't know exactly where I put it. For me, The Winter Soldier is my favorite MCU movie, um, followed by Iron Man 1. Those are my top two. And then probably Endgame and then this Avengers, so probably fourth for me. Yeah, I, I, it's probably my top five i'd say my number one it's depending on my mood i mean it's it's just each movie is so different and so amazing in its own way it's tough to kind of you know if i want a good comedy like a good thriller heist type of thing i'm gonna watch ant-man if i want a good political thriller i'm gonna watch winter soldier so it's it's i don't know they're all amazing in their old way except for ragnarok which i hate (laughs) (laughs) it's definitely yeah higher on the list i i've never actually took uh taken the time to to plot out a full list i might I, have to do that though i've tried to and it's it's like, it's so tough be, it's because everything has like this one's amazing for this reason but this one's even better because of this reason it i it's definitely in my top top five or top ten probably my top five um probably like in there like winter soldier Endgame, iron man one avengers and Probably Ant Man, which I know is kind of a underdog, but I just love the Ant Man. Ant Man's a great movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I did actually, I did actually, you know, make a whole ranking of the MCU. Not every movie, because I haven't seen every movie. Uh, but I actually have Avengers at sixteen. Which what? Ooh! Is wow! But then my whole list in general is going to be not like other people's. Because at number one, I have Ant-Man and the Wasp. And at number two, I have Iron Man 3. So it's going to be a... It is is already a little different. Yeah. I think Ant-Man and the Wasp is an amazing movie. And Iron Man 3, I think, is way underrated. Yes. But I would not put those in my top five, that's for sure. But... I mean, it's, it's, this is my favorite series of all time. Like out of any ongoing story, this is my favorite, favorite, favorite. So every one of them is amazing except for Thor Ragnarok. But now would you say, and it's something we kind of talk about on, on lost with friends a lot. Would you still say that the worst of your favorite thing is better than a lot of some other things that are just pretty okay? Oh, for sure. I've always used that the same thing when like, different movies come out and someone's like, Oh, that wasn't as good as, you know, when, when uh, guardians two came out, you know, that wasn't as good as this one. It's like, it, it wasn't, but it's like pizza, even like the worst pizza is still pretty good. Usually. Um, and like the worst Marvel movie is still, you know, I, 
I say I hate Thor Ragnarok. I don't hate it. It's a good movie, but it's definitely the most overrated of the Marvel movies, and I definitely think it's the worst one. You know I'm going to call on – you know I'm going to write this down, right? No, that's fine. I will gladly be on that episode (laughs) so I can trash it. It's – it's, it's, I just I hate that director. I hate the writer. I hate so much about it, and I will gladly be on there to. It'll it'll be Thor's Ragnarok is is to Marvel as Rose is to Lost. We'll put it that way. <laughs> I get that. Oh, <laughs> I get that reference. Yeah, I get it's, that reference now. <laughs> um, I, I'd also yeah. say uh, that I, I was waiting for for Jake to sort of pop in on the concept of even bad pizza is pretty okay because Jake's very much a pizza snob over there. So. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was gonna say something about that too. I'm from New York. Not all pizzas made equally. Oh, that's for <laughs> right. sure. Yeah, I was born in New York. I know exactly how it is. But for the most part, even, even well, except for Chicago style, that's just terrible. But that's we'll casserole. That... That's not pizza. Oh, it's disgusting. I hate it. Oh, come on. <laughs> not, it's it's no good. New York pizza's where it's at. Absolutely. Yes. East uh-huh. Coast represent. All right. Uh, so that is going to, oh, wait, sorry. I did forget one thing. The Stan Lee cameo. We've talked about it in every movie so far. We didn't mention it here. And that's, that's my own fault. I do apologize. Um, I've talked with most all of you, uh, Liam, since this is your first time, I haven't really, uh, sort of posed this question, but we'll talk about it more in, in your episode. But we've, we've kind of talked generally speaking about the concept of, sort of where should things go with regards to Stan Lee in the future of these MCU things. But here, and I'm not necessarily saying rank it or anything like that, but what did we think about this Stan Lee cameo? I'm going to say for myself personally, I liked it uh, very much because I think he makes some very funny appearances, but just the concept of him saying in this one, superheroes in New York, like, you know, I don't believe it or get out of here or whatever. Obviously it's a very, very meta reference, but personally, I like that one. I don't know what you guys think about this one in compared to some others. Eh, it was all right. Yeah. <laughs> That's about it. <laughs> I liked it just because it was tongue-in-cheek in middle, like you said. Yeah. Um, also, I found out today, um, I probably found out previously, but I just remember today I was watching the deleted scenes. He had another cameo um, right after we get reintroduced to Captain America, um, and he's walking around New York City kind of taking in uh, the current time. Uh, he goes down to um, the restaurant that's beneath Stark Tower, um, and he talks to that waitress that we see at the end that he saves and um, the girl that was from Growing Pains. Um, so he's talking to her, and then he's completely oblivious to her flirting with him. Um, and then you see Stanley behind him. He's like, go get her number. So that was his other cameo, which they ended up cutting, which I like the other one much better anyways. Quick note here, uh, Kev, you probably don't remember this at all, but the last time that, uh, well, not the last time I was in New York, but that time that me and Jake were in New York and me, we met up with you and Sheree, and I made some sort of comment. I don't even remember why I made it, but I said something about the actress, Ashley Johnson, and I said, because I think I said about maybe she was in Blind Spot or something, and I said, you know, oh, I know that. I know who that is. Don't ask me why. And you were like, well, why do you know who that is? And and I was going to say she was the one girl in the Avengers, but I couldn't remember how to exactly formulate it. That's her. You're right. I don't remember that. I at knew all. you wouldn't, but nope. I, 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 all <laughs> no day I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, I got to make sure that I tell him this. So, how, there, ma- how many old fashions have we had at that point? 
Uh, no, this was before that. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is before. This is when we were in the comic book store. We we were talking. Oh, about. but see, that's why he forgot it because he had all the old fashioned yeah. afterwards. <laughs> those were good, by the way. Um, but uh, so, yeah, we're gonna uh, wrap it up here with uh, giving out the social medias. And I'm going to sort of call on everybody like I did at the beginning. So let them know where they can find you all around the Internet. Jake. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat. The handle is Jake LCE. Facebook, Jacob Woken. I am friends with, with Paul and following Clock Shelf, so you can find me through that. Kevin? Uh, across all forms of social media, follow me at Seventh Power. Spell it out. Replace the V with the number seven. Steve. Twitter and Instagram. I do filming location photography. It's Hollywood underscore IRL. Ruth. I got nothing. Uh, I'm not a social media person. I my business is just plain crazy face art, and I'm just Ruth Casey um, on Facebook. Tim? Uh, you can find me on twitch.tv slash behemoth pineapples on Instagram behemoth pineapples underscore TTV and on Twitter at behemoth pineapple P-I-N-E-A-P number one. Liam? Uh, you can find me on Twitter uh, at hazard time and you can also find me at uh, youtube.com slash hazard time. For more on me, your voice of choice, check me out on Twitter and Instagram at JPGRB. You can follow my second Instagram at JPCS.PICS. I use it to post pictures and daily things going on in my life, mostly food. A lot of food going on there. Uh, for more on all of us, you can check out Clock Shelves on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at Clock Shelves. That's C-L-O-C-K-S-H-E-L-V-E-S. For archives of this podcast and all our other podcasts, they are available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Please leave a review and some star ratings. We love that sort of thing around here. You probably got this early on Patreon. We have different tiers over there with different things to unlock at each tier. That's where you can go throw some dough if you choose to do so. And if you've missed any of the stuff I said here, all information and links can easily be found on clockshelves.com. That's the hub for everything. Clockshelves.com. That's C-L-O-C-K-S-H-E-L-V-E-S dot C-O-M. And of course, if you don't have this Marvel movie or any of the other Marvel stuff that we cover on the show, you can check out our uh, Amazon affiliate link down in the description below. All right, and that is going to do it for this episode of MCU and me covering the Avengers. I would like to thank you all for joining me, and I, I know it was... I know not everybody knew everybody or still knows everybody, but uh, sort of like I mentioned earlier, um, you know, like Joss Whedon said, that's sort of the whole point is bringing people together and all these people shouldn't be in a room. And we weren't all on a, in a room, but we were all on this podcast and I cannot thank you all enough. So until next time, I will say thanks for listening, true believers.